hear God's word to you this morning. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, another translation for that is seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That sends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to do a little imagining for a moment, and then you'll see it's not as much of an imagination thing as we thought. You walk into a courtroom. You observe the trial. You see witness after witness take the stand. And they swear in with the normal formula. We've all heard it. Um, some of us have probably had to have been there um, to court for various reasons. I'm not, not saying it was me, but maybe it could have been. That's what it was. But I was there too. But if you notice that they, would, they always ask, they ask you to put your hand on the Bible in some cases. And they say what? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And then what? So help you God, you invoke the name of God. And then you're, of course, to say, I do, right? So you're at this and you see this happening. And then all of a sudden, to your surprise, the Lord himself comes in. Whoa. And he takes the stand. It comes time for him to swear in. He simply says, I swear by myself. You see, the reason why he can only swear by himself is because when we swear, we take a vow in court, we're, we're swearing by what? Someone greater than ourselves, greater than all things. We are saying the highest authority we swear by. So what happens when God wants to make a vow? There is no one higher than him. There is no one greater than him. So he has to say, I swear by me that I will, I'm telling the truth or that I will do such a thing. Well, in our text this morning, it's not such an imaginary, th imaginary thing. It's exactly what God does. We have this morning in our text in Genesis 22, where God swears by himself to do something. Now, he had promised to do this a number of times through Genesis, starting in, verse, in chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, I think chapter 18. He's reiterated his promise. But the question here is, what made God, this time in reconfirming his promises, what made him take such a strong oath? What pleased him so much that he not only reiterated his covenant promises to Abraham to give him a people, right, to build a people through his descendants, and to give him a land, remember, a promised land, I'm going to give you a land to all your descendants, and then remember the other promise, those are the three things. The third one is, I'm going to bless all nations through your seed. And by the way, seed is singular. So that means one child. And 
immediately it meant Isaac, but we know Isaac was a type of who? Christ, who is the seed of Abraham and through whom all nations now are blessed. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It could be a Gentile from any other nation. If you put your faith in Abraham's seed, you are Abraham's child. And this promise goes all the way back here. And this time we see in chapter 22, he adds this solemn oath swearing by himself. Now, we don't have to guess what made God do this or what provoked God, what moved him. Um, I, I debated on whether using this illustration because it's speaking humanly about God, and I do so with absolute reverence, and God knows my heart. But I would look at it this way. It's like ju God jumps out of his skin in response to what Abraham did and says, I swear by myself that I'm going to do what I said for you. So this, the text tells us what made God, what moved God to make such a strong vow of assurance. We find in verse 16, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, now look, this is why, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. So what led God to do this? It's Abraham's complete trust in him that he would sacrifice his only son, the promised son, in obedience to the word of God, trusting that God would have to, even, even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead to keep his promise, that he would do so. In other words, God, I'm going to leave it up to you, the details of how you're going to work this thing out. All I know is this is the command you gave me. And all I have, see, that's what, as humans, we make things complicated. All, we have to stop God and say, now, wait a minute, God, let's talk about this. If this happens with that, then what's going to happen over there? And I know you had a plan, and you wanted to do God's looking at you like, seriously? Like, you really think you're going to figure out my ways? You remember Isaiah, right? Your ways are not my ways. As high as the heavens above the earth are my ways above your ways. Knock it off. Because it really is as simple as God told you to do it. Do it. And it's really... We're going to talk about works in a moment, but it's really a matter of faith, isn't it? Are you going to trust God that he's got this? Like I sometimes, because I am human and I fail all, all, an awful lot, Mary will be reminding me, Sam, don't forget you got to do this. Sam, don't forget you got to. I go, I got it, I got it. And she looks at me, yeah, you got it. <laughs> because she knows how many times I tell her I got it. And then a week later, did you make that phone? Oh, no, I was going to make it, but I just can't. When God says he's got it. He's God. And that's what we see here. And this is so cool to me. It made me jump out of my skin. Is that God was delighted with Abraham's faith. He was delighted with Abraham's faith that was expressed, very important, that was expressed through obedience to his word. You know, God, what pleases you? God, what makes you happy? Now, I was going to go off on a tangent. I won't go too far down this line. But if you notice in the Bible, what surprises Jesus? What surprises Jesus? You know what surprises Jesus in the Gospels? Faith. When, when he's surprised when there's faith when there shouldn't be any. Like in the Roman centurion who was a Gentile, not even connected with Israel, says, Lord, you don't even have to. Jesus says he'll go and, uh, and heal his servant. He says, Lord, you don't even have to go. 
Just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus goes, you know what? I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. And then he said, go home. Your servant is healed. Not he will be healed. And then it's so exciting. He says when the guy gets back, when the centurion gets back, he finds out his servant was healed the moment Jesus said it. Jesus rewards faith. You can't get away from that. And it goes all the way back. We don't have to go all the way to that far in the history of uh, uh, redemption. We go way back to the beginning. We go back to the father of all who believe, and we see God saying, yes, yes, this is what I want from you, to trust me and prove it by obeying my word. So we're going to see two things. That's it this morning. Two things, we're going, to, uh, we're going to look at what I just mentioned in a little more detail, and then the second thing. The first thing is, we're going to see the cause of the oath in more detail. What caused God to make the oath as he reiterated the promise? By the way, for the last time, this is the last time recorded in the Bible that God speaks to Abraham, his servant. And it's the last time that we see in the Bible that he reiterates the covenant promises now, he does it again and again with Isaac and Jacob and the rest of Israel and then us. But here, this is his last time he does it for Abraham. So we're going to see the cause of the oath. And then we're going to see, and this one should, hopefully it'll excite you the way it excited me as I studied it, the purpose of the oath. So what's the point of it? Why does God do this? To what end, in other words? The first is what caused him to do it. The second is the purpose for which he did it. And man, let's just jump right in. The cause of the oath. Verses 16 and 17, I just read it, but we'll read it again. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Now look, this is so important. It's an important detail. Those of us who have been studying Genesis for a number of months, and particularly the Abraham narrative, we got to note that this last radical test the test of being asked to sacrifice the son he loves, his only son, Isaac, listen, this is important, comes after 40 years or so of learning to trust and walk with God. So in other words, it's not at the beginning of Abraham's life when, when God says, hi, I'm God. Nice to meet you. By the way, go sacrifice your son. No, it comes after 40 years of a, of a walk with God where your faith is growing and where you're learning. And so he's had a lifetime with God. And so, that's fine. So you have to remember when it says in verse 1 that God tested Abraham, listen, what's a test for? Right? Yeah, we often wonder that in school when we give certain tests. We're like, well, what's the point of this whole thing? Well, we know what the tests of faith are for. I'm going to turn to one passage so we can do it succinctly. 1 Peter 1, 6-9, we read this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now listen. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, what Peter is saying is, what's one of the most valuable things on this earth is what? Gold. And some people say, if you're going to invest in anything, invest in gold, because it kind of stays, 
keeps its value to a degree, right? Whereas other stocks go up and down. And Peter's saying, to God, and it should be for you as well, faith is more precious and it's more valuable to God. It's so valuable that God will put you through all kinds of tests and trials to refine it, to make it pure, so that when Jesus is revealed, they will be able to say, look at Annie Mae's faith. It's the real deal. And who gets the glory for that? Very interesting throughout this whole text, we're going to have to see this. Who gets the glory for it? Praise to Jesus. Because if you believe, it's only a gift of God's grace. Abraham was no hero in and of himself. He was a man like you and I. But God was good to him and showed his mercy to him. And then we see how God's grace worked. So these 40 years, God was growing, strengthening, and refining his chosen child's faith. That's what we have to see. Stretching him to surrender all. I always, we don't sing that song really here much, probably because it's more of a piano song and I'm a guitar player. But, you know, I surrender all. But another reason why is like, do you? Yeah, I think Jamie might have done that once. Yeah, but I, I don't do it. Um, but that's a pretty serious thing to say to God, isn't it? I lay it all on the line. I surrender all, God. Okay, great. Though the son you love, sacrifice him to me. <laughs> well, I didn't mean all, all. Well, that's not what Abraham does. That's the interesting thing. Abraham says, okay. Gets up early in the morning. We'll get to that in a moment. The cool thing here is that Abraham passed with flying colors after 40 years. God's man trusted God completely and demonstrated it by responding radically to God's radical command. As one commentator put it, as I, was, I, I read a lot of things and listened to a lot of sermons, but one, one commentator said this, more amazing than God's radical request was Abraham's radical faith. And what we have to remember um, as we get into this, uh, the reason we start our service with Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 Remember, we're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not by works, so no one can boast. Abraham couldn't boast. But then that last wonderful phrase in, chapter, in uh, verse 10, for we are created, we were created what? In Christ Jesus to do good works. So what we have here is God saying, yes, look at my handiwork. When you see Abraham's faith, God, that's God's handiwork, working in Abraham his will, and his good pleasure. And so God rewards his own, that's how good God is. God gives you the grace to do it, and then God gives you the reward for doing it. Does it get any better than that? That's what we see in this text. We see that even though God called him when he was an idolater, God worked his grace in his life, God gave him the, the, the gift of faith, strengthened his faith, and now, when he expresses his faith through, through works, as James will point out later in his epistle, God rewarded him, his faith by giving him his, re-giving him his covenant promises with an oath. Now, I want you to see something. I, this is important. I thought, you know, let's stop. Let's slow down. I want you to see this. Okay. I don't know why I put that there. Anyway. What I want you to see is that there is a pattern here that every time, notice God has given Abraham this promise probably about six times 
Um, between chapters 12 and chapter 22, God says what? I promise that I, that, um, I will give you a people and a land, right? And he says your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be more than the grains of sand on the seashore. And in case you, you can't figure that out, that's a lot. And then he talks about I will give you a land. And then he talks about, I will bless all the nations. So I'm not just going to bless Israel. That's where I start. But then through the seed who comes from Israel, I'm going to bless all nations through you, Abraham. He says that in chapter 12. And then he says it again in chapter 3. Now listen. What precipitates the promise three times out of six? I'll tell you what precipitates it. In chapter 12, God tells Abraham, Abraham. Leave your land and go to the land I'm telling you to go to, even though you don't know where that is yet. What does Abraham, what does the Bible tell us to do? Tell us that Abraham did. He got up and he left. And he went. After Abraham does that, God says, I will bless you. I will, I will, I will. Then in chapter 13, he and his nephew Lot, their, their uh, families get too big. Their production gets too big where their herdsmen started fighting. So Abraham does what? He walks by faith, not sight. He says, you know what, Lot? You, pick, you, you get the pick of the land. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. I'm going to let you pick the choice land. You remember that? And you remember Lot chose the most lush land, the land that had the nice rain and the great... And, and Abraham chose by faith. He trusted God, whereas Lot went by what? Sight. So guess what happens right after that? I'm actually going to read what happens after that. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, this is chapter 13, verse 13, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Wow, now he's added another one. Anybody ever try to dust a room? That stuff just don't go away. But he's saying, I'm going to make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, i.e. you can't, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. What's the point? The point is God said, I'm going to reward you for trusting me. You follow this? And what you need to see is, so when we get to chapter 22, it's not unique that God, God's promise comes after the faith has been expressed, okay? The unique thing, of course, as we're going to see in just a second, is the oath. So why now does it come with an oath? Well, I think we've kind of been seeing this. I'm only going to talk about this a couple more moments. But the reason it comes with an oath now is because it was the pinnacle of all tests. It was the hardest of all tests. It was the most unreasonable in some ways, like how could you ask this of me? And yet Abraham finally surrenders all. His ups and downs before, his missteps, his mess ups. This time he says, this time I'm not messing up. I'm going to give it all, lay it on the line. I'm going to trust God. So Abraham could have written this line of the old hymn, Like a River Glorious. Every joy or trial, listen to this, see if you can say this by faith. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. 
we may trust him fully. All for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Isn't that awesome? How are you going to find God holy? W-H-O-L-L-Y, by the way. Holy true. It's only if you wholly trust him. Because we say, God, come through, and then I'll trust you. And God says, trust me. And then I'll show you how I come through. If you were with us last week, you would see in verses 1 to 14 that the heart of those verses was the Lord, the, the fact that the Lord provides. And if you remember last week, um, the Lord stayed Abraham's hand from, from sacrificing his son. And the Lord said, now I know that you, you fear me. And then Abraham looked up, and you remember, he saw a ram in the thicket. You remember that? And it says that he sacrificed the ram instead of Isaac. And if you remember earlier, uh, and this is where I got teary-eyed last week, when Isaac has these, this bundle on his back, his dad's got the knife, got the fire, they're on their way to the sacrifice, and, and Isaac says, uh, I see the fire, I see the sticks, Dad, but where's the sacrifice? You remember Abraham's response? The Lord himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, my son. And I'd be derelict in my duty as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ if I failed to draw your attention to the fact that Abraham's faith was not in his own faith or his, or his works. His faith was in the Lord who would provide the lamb in his place, in the place of his son. Now, he demonstrated that faith by obeying God's word. That is to say, his obedience to the word of the Lord, which called him to offer up his son Isaac, clearly flowed from his trust in the person and the promises of God. He trusted God so deeply. He trusted God's promises so deeply that, like as I mentioned earlier, that he reasoned God's just going to have to raise him from the dead. Now, the, Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrew Christians puts it this way in chapter 11. And I think it's very interesting, verses 17 and 19. He says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, etc. So he sees this as an act of faith, which it absolutely is in the text. It's important for us to see why I'm emphasizing this is because we need to see that Abraham's actions flowed from a living faith. If you, you may remember this. When does it say Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness? Do you remember that? Genesis 15, way back then. So in other words, Abraham was already righteous by this point. He was already justified. He already knew God through faith. But here is where he showed that, displayed that. It was proven for everyone to see. See, here's, here's what we need to see, and this is where the conviction comes in. If you trust the God of the word, then you will obey the word of God. 
You see that? Say again. If you trust the God of the word, then you will obey the word of God. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once put it this way, only the believing obey. But then he says, only the obedient believe. We're not saved by works. But if we are truly saved by faith, the works will come. So it isn't Abraham's works that caused God to give him such a strong personal assurance of blessing. It's just that his actions simply proved that he really trusted God, that he really believed him. And we need to see that. The reformers put it this way, just in case you've, uh, uh, you've never heard this before. They say, we are, we are justified by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. So that's what moved God to reconfirm his promises with an absolute oath because, because genu uh, Abraham expressed genuine faith through his radical obedience to his word. Now, the second and last point, I told you it would only be two. But the question is, why though? Why, to what end did he reconfirm his promises to Abraham this time with an oath? And that's the last thing we're going to see, the purpose of the oath. Let's read it again one more time. It's a brief text, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. First time, by the way, is when he said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Don't touch the boy. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because, here's, here it is, because you have obeyed me. So God swore by himself in order, now this is important, why? In order to assure Abraham, his servant, his friend, because that's what the Bible calls Abraham, by the way, the friend of God, in the most certain, strongest terms possible. In other words, by God's holy, perfect character and infinite power that he will surely, graciously bless him with all the covenant promises that he promised to do for him. And here's the interesting thing. And when I saw this, I, I was very excited. The oath that God makes to Abraham right here in Genesis 22 would be referred to again and again throughout the history of redemption. And I'm not going to go through all of them because you're all like, oh no. He's not going to go through all of them. I'm not. But I'm going to give you one example in the Old Testament. And it's in Exodus 22. You may remember this event. Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments from God. And what are the Israelites doing? Remember? They wanted a golden calf. Remember that event? And so they build this, they make this, they ask Aaron for a calf. Aaron has them melt the gold. They build a calf and they say, here's the Lord. And they start worshiping this calf. Well, God had had enough after all he had done for them. And he comes down and he says to Moses, get out the way. I'm wiping these people out. I'm going to make a people through you and your family, Moses. I'm done with these people. They're stiff-necked. This is what Abraham does. Now, I always, uh, this passage always makes me think of, I would have been like, finally, God. I've been telling you these people are pains in my neck. I was waiting for you to, no, but, but that's not what Abraham does. This is what Abraham does. 
Listen. He says, remember your servants, listen, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Now listen. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Why not? Because he couldn't break his promise. Because he had to keep his oath on the basis of his own holy character. So we turn, I told you one in the old, let's turn to the New Testament. And it's, it's a long passage, um, but don't get nervous, I'm only going to make a point or two out of it, I'm not going to exegete the whole passage. But the writer of the Hebrew Christians actually quotes from Genesis 22 in chapter 6 of his epistle, verses 14 to 20. I'll read it, I'm going to make a couple comments, and then we're going to close up. This is what he writes. When God made his promise to Abraham, that's in our text, by the way, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make, listen, the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. But God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I bring this to your attention for just a couple of reasons this morning. And I want you to think about this. Now, in the immediate context, why did God give this oath to Abraham um, and give him the promises through swearing on himself? It was to assure Abraham, right, that he would do exactly what he promised he would do. But the writer of the Hebrews says something that should make each of our hearts leap for joy if we're, if we're trusting in Christ this morning. He said, actually, God didn't just do this for Abraham. He did it for the heirs of the promises. Who are the heirs of the promises? Believers of both Jews and Gentiles, out of the Jews and the Gentiles, who put their faith in the singular, by the way, here, the seed of Abraham, who was the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, God made this oath not just for Abraham, not just for the Israelites, but guess for who? For you and for me. Because I'm telling you, you walk with Jesus long enough, there will be moments of doubt. There will be no moments of struggle. There will be moments where you will look up after you've blown it and said, your promises don't apply to me anymore, do they? I'm not going to make it, am I, to that desired haven. And what the writer to the Hebrews says, I got some good news. God made an oath that he's going to get you there. And that it's going to be by his grace. And that even you can't mess it up. And that this hope we have, I mentioned earlier in prayer time, this hope is like an anchor 
any of you have ever done any uh, fishing or been out in a boat, you know that if you have a good, good size enough anchor, that thing is going to, you're going to be anchored in that one spot so you're not floating all over. That's the whole point of an anchor. You don't just go with ebb and the flow. And here, what, what uh, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, based on Genesis 22, is that that hope that we have, that God will keep all of his promises to us in Christ Jesus. By the way, that's what Paul says. All of God's promises that he's ever given are yes to us in Christ Jesus. And that's the beautiful thing why we as Christians, no matter what background, ethnic background we have, we open up the Old Testament and say what? This is my heritage. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful thing for a Jew because he's a natural branch. That should be the natural progression of all the promises. Yes, he has promised us Messiah. And we receive him. And for the Gentile, we should be extra thankful. Oh, you grafted me in. <laughs> I was far off, and you brought me in. Those promises are now to us in Christ Jesus. So what shall we say to all this as believers in Christ? I'll tell you what. God can be completely trusted. That means with whatever he may be telling you in your life, I need you to give this thing up. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not productive. It's not glorifying to me. And no matter how precious it is, precious it is to you, if he says, trust me on this, I got something better. You won't see it now, but there's something better coming. You could say, okay, God, I'm going to go against my own human reason, my own logic, and I'm going to trust you. It means that we could obey the word of the Lord. By the way, I want to say this. Some of us have come from a works-oriented religion. I almost want to say, raise your hand if you come from, because I have. So whenever, a lot of times I'm reading the Bible, whenever I hear obedience or works, I get a little nervous. Because I'm reading into that, be, be, trying to be justified by works. Right? Which uh, Paul clearly preaches against in Galatians and Romans. But... Unfortunately, because of that, when we hear the word obedience, we see it as a bad word, or we automatically think legalism. But actually, why? What's the point of God saving us by faith, by faith, by grace through faith? So that we would do good, that we would live good lives of, of holiness and good works. Remember in chapter 18 or 19, he says, I have chosen Abraham so that what? He will show, teach his children to walk in what? My way. Obedience is a good thing. Trust and obey is not a bad thing when you understand it that way. It's a father telling a child who, who he has already made by his grace, adopted into his family, now uphold the family name and be like me. Trust and obey puts it this way, one of the lines of that old hymn, which we're going to try to sing. I'll do my best on guitar, but... Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil, listen, he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Surrender to the Lord this morning. He can be trusted.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can even remind you that you promised, Dad, you promised. We think of even as the Israelites had tried you so severely and provoked you to your face. And yet because you have swore this oath, they were not destroyed. Father, how often uh, by our sins we deserve to be punished. And yet you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Because you are a faithful God who keeps his promises and will bring us safely home by your grace. Oh Lord, help us to respond and help our, please strengthen our faith that, that we too might be among those who trust and show it through an obedient faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's respond to God by...